0: Our breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. until 8:30 a.m. your the-
1: <laughs> <laughs> baby, baby.
2: <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast on the 7th of December. 2017. Good morning, Shares. Good morning,
3: Grace. Good morning, good morning guys. Oh, good morning,
2: Dean and Grace. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice to be back in the studio after a 2 weeks' sojourn. Um, but just quickly, I might just um, acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, and we acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples on the face, in the face of ongoing colonisation, and we like to acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded, and the treaty was never signed. And this is... Thursday breakfast what's on the show today
4: um so first up we're going to talk to Sophia Tipping who works um at La Trobe University as a research assistant and going to be talking about a project she's doing um looking at people with intellectual disabilities and how they vote and trying to get them more engaged in the political system
2: and it's 7.30, um, I'm, I'll be speaking to the CEO of Presentation Studio, Emma Bannister, and it's really, um, uh, well, not that we've got the problem, but it's about, uh, I guess, getting over public speaking. Uh, and she's written a book I about that.
5: Have, I still have that problem. I <laughs> yeah, think. well, I mean, you're, you're here.
2: Well, it's not, even it's not like you're in yeah. bed. That's right. But a, I'm not speaking a to a public of
3: uh, Audience of like, you know, a whole auditorium of we people. We just can't <laughs> see them. There's yeah. teams of people
4: out there listening.
3: Yeah. So, you
2: know. yeah. And you know, the old adage imagine them naked can still work even though we can't really see <laughs> oh, them. <laughs> no, <that's> terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, At 7.45, we're going to talk to Chris Bigby, who's the director of the Living with Disability Centre at La Trobe University. We're going to be talking about the NDIS, um, how it came about, and what are some of the problems with rolling it out. Um, And
3: then at 8.10, we have Keenan Muir coming in, um, and he's a senior project manager at the Currie Youth Centre. And he's going to be talking about an upcoming exhibition, or I think it's actually... uh, Uh, on now, uh, called Marambik um, at the Melbourne Museum, looking at Aboriginal identity in the modern world.
2: And just so we are still on top of it, it is still 16 days of activism, which started on November the 25th um, against uh, violence, I guess, gender violence, no, age violence, and violence against women in general as well, and children, Um, and on December the 10th, which is Sunday, is International Human Rights Day. And that's when it, it concludes. So I'll talk a little bit about a project that uh, Gig Girl is working on, which is called um, She Makes Change, so hashtag She Makes Change, which is, I guess, a one-day power session coming on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And we we're meant to get somebody from Gig Girl Academy, but we haven't been able to. Um, but, you know, we'll uh, push on.
6: <laughs> you are invited to some Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or... DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
5: 500 men shocked (laughs) for
7: Union Busters are back on the docks, this time a company called ICTSI. A worker has been sacked for standing up to the bosses against bullying and harassment. A community assembly has come together to support the dock workers and have started a 24 hour protest. We are holding the line, but we need your help. Get down to 78 Web Dock Drive, Port Melbourne, and join the community assembly at any time of the day or night. For more information and details, Call Workers Solidarity on 0401
8: 516 967. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday.
9: Years in the making, radical radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
8: At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of
6: 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street,
8: Fitzroy,
9: or online at 3cr.org forward slash shop.
8: Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
2: Uh, we're back. It's good that our show is um, got the full team again. I was just uh, mentioning to Grace here in the studio that um, unfortunately I missed the all the action that uh, involved our. Well, not our man, but that involved Milo y- Yiannopoulos, um, and so I wake up this morning and reading that. Uh, apart from everything else, his promoters and himself will be billed at least fifty thousand dollars by Victoria Police for the protests that took place. Um,
8: <laughs> it's great.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I
5: was
2: just like, this is awesome. <laughs> Is it is it me or was I hearing the news reports that the left wing protesters are just troublemakers or pests?
4: I think that's been a discourse in the media for a really long time. For yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really problematic kind of um. equating um people who are fascist and at like proud of being a fascist <laughs> with people that are standing up and trying to counter that and have a position of no platform and trying to stop people um from spouting this racist stuff. And also the people that are there that are on the side of the fascists that are fascists are mm. actually really violent uh-huh. and you know, are causing a lot of the trouble on those demonstrations. But also, if they feel like they have power in the streets, they're going to be inflicting violence on a lot of other people at different points in time as well, which is also why the rallies are there trying to stop it. Mm. Um,
3: and also, um, just the police presence mm. at, the, at the rally um, was um, quite like it was quite obvious so so for so for example uh the police um in front of the uh you know i'm putting in you know uh, brackets up here um, in quotation marks um the left-wing protesters um were sort of the right the police in right gear and the ones in front of uh the fascists uh were just normal normal uh police not with
4: Um, That scary uh, Ninja Turtle gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And they also got shields out really quickly and were in, like, uh, proper riot gear uh, police-like style, which is also really antagonistic. And the fact also that the the Melbourne Pavilion or whatever it's called is, like, down Stubbs Road and the police decided to hold everybody on the intersection of uh, Racecourse Road right opposite... The flats where yeah. a lot of people that come from multicultural backgrounds, mm. a lot mm-hmm. of people that are Muslim live in those flats, and to have the police like that and the fascists right on their doorstep was really antagonistic mm-hmm. as well.
2: And, and obviously, I, I didn't see it no one was in here. But were there barriers? Did they even bother putting barriers, or did they just decide we'll have police standing there to stop people on one side and then standing on the other side?
3: But there were some. There, there were only like a little bit of barriers um, on the side on Stubbs, Is it Stubbs Street? Yeah, the, so that's right. The Stubbs Road, the one that comes into Racecourse Road, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, just to divide the people lining up to get into Milo's event. Um, but yeah, just f- further to what Grace was saying, um, a lot of a lot of people um were were, were saying, no, this is our this is our home, you know, why, you know, get out of our land." Yeah. Um, to to the police that were um quite, actually being quite aggressive, so. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's um, it's a shame we couldn't get to um, speak to Flem from, oh. is it Kay in uh, Legal? Y- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
4: Fleminton and Kensington Legal Centre, um, yeah, so we'll keep trying, maybe we can yeah. talk to them next
2: week. Yeah, 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 It's um, and now his Sydney location has been kept under wraps, and, and a lot of, uh, I was just speaking to a friend of mine who sort of mentioned that they didn't realise that he was so young. Oh. And you know, I think we spoke about it with Debbie, that that whole idea that um I don't know, it, that is it somebody who wants a fifteen minutes of frame, do they really does he really believe what he's saying or is he just trying to get a reaction and mm. maybe become the next Kim Kardashian?
3: Also like what he says it's just not that
2: intelligent. It's <laughs> not that great. It's, <laughs> oh, like, it's kind you of like
3: you know, kind of
2: boring, you it's know. It's like picketing I, I, like, the Moreland City yeah. Council <laughs> every day. They have their every time they have their meeting. It's yeah. n- you know. It's a bit strange, but um, yeah, some people have their um, their own agenda, I guess. Mm. Yeah, um, but I think we've got our next guest ready. We'll maybe go to a few community announcements and uh, get Sophia on.
1: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity. Defence Fund. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. A 3CR supporter.
10: Join us to mark one hundred years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A three CR
0: Support
1: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity Defence Fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. A 3CR supporter.
4: Good morning. Uh, You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Um, so, we're joined by Sophia Tipping, who's a research assistant at La Trobe University. Good morning, Sophia.
0: Hi, everyone.
5: Good morning.
4: Good morning. Um, do you want to start by just saying a little bit about the types of research that you do at La Trobe University?
11: Yeah, well, um, I'm a part of the Living with Disability Research Centre, so we, we do research about disability, and we, we do a lot of research related to people with intellectual disability as well, mm-hmm. about community participation and rights and... All kinds of things. Cool.
2: And and So don't interrupt just quickly. Disability isn't always visible either, is it?
11: No, no. There's um, invisible disabilities. So a lot of people with intellectual disability have invisible disability and can't, um, you know, get people don't uh, immediately recognize recognize that that or understand that they might need certain things or have a different way of being in the world than other people. Mm.
4: So it can be quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a bit about uh, the research project you're doing in terms of voting and people with intellectual disabilities?
11: Yeah, well, I thought I might um, start with a, a story about mm-hmm. a kind of person called Frances, who is sort of made up. She comes from a lot of different people I've spoken to. Um, so she's a young woman, and she has uh, an intellectual disability. And as many young women and men and anyone does, she's starting to think about some new things that she's doing, and one of those things is voting. But she runs into some roadblocks. She's told by the people around her that it's not something she can do. She's At best, she's told, you know, don't worry about it, it's not for you. At worst, she's told she's too stupid to vote. Hmm. Um, She's dissuaded at the polling place because the electoral staff have stopped her from bringing someone to support her into the polling booth. And she's dissuaded by the nature of political debate and information that's out there, which is um, unintelligible to all of us, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, you know, it's very argumentative and um,
4: adversarial and And they also use so many words that don't actually, like you have to filter through what they're actually trying to say. Exactly.
11: Well, just tell us what you're going to do. Come on, you know. (laughs) Um, so, so Frances, as a result, isn't having a say in democracy the way most of us do in Australia. Mm. But she's someone who's also very deeply affected by decisions that are made at government. She uses a lot of social services. Um, and she, you know, perhaps more than other people in the community, she's, she's impacted. Mm. Mm. So we kind of thought this isn't very fair. And the Victorian Electoral Commission agreed, as did Inclusion Melbourne, which is another organization we're partnered with. And so we thought we'd, we'd do some research. Um, there, there hasn't really been any research like this done in Australia and not much really globally. So there's a lot of questions.
4: Mm. So, how is how are you undertaking this research? So we're um talking to supporters and people with
11: intellectual disability, and um and that's kind of the phase we're at at the moment. And mm. then what we're going to do is uh we, it's an action research project, so we want we don't want to just you know do the listen. And, not <laughs> <laughs> and then just put it in a pile in the corner. So we're getting a group of people together, including disability support organisations, the Victorian Electoral Commission, advocacy groups, um, and people with intellectual disability, self-advocates um, with intellectual disability. And we're going to try and come up with some kind of solution that we can test for next year's state election hmm. and see if it works.
2: Yeah, I guess that that was going to be my point, that, you yeah. know, well, state election's a good start, but, but the federal election's so far away. And I think things like... Um, being dissuaded to vote, and then even getting to a polling booth, in some places you're limited um, by the facilities that are available mm. there. So you can't. There's no ramp to get into that. Mm. So if you're in a wheelchair, well, you can't vote from outside. So all of those have a, a flow-on effect.
5: That's
11: right, and that's not even getting to the the inaccessible stuff for people with intellectual disability, which is often a lot harder to to do. It's a lot harder to make information accessible, mm. and, mm. and um, really you know uh, abstract ideas accessible and things like that so that's that's the next step I think and making sure people have support from people they trust as well
4: mm. So I know it's the start of the research project but do you have ideas of like how you will synthesise that information and make it more accessible like is there
11: um, Yeah well it's the start so that's a journey I think we've got to go on but we we'll, we're going to try and turn our report into something that's accessible, particularly for the people who will be on our committee, so they can, um uh, you know, use that to come up, help us come up with, pro- you know, some kind of solution that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's the journey we're going to go on. We'll see how that goes.
2: <laughs> uh, and what, what, what? What was it that you think led to, to the, maybe the Victorian Electoral Commission getting on board? You know, what were what some of the sort of uh, key um, findings or messages that you gave to them so that they could support this project?
11: Well, um, I, Inclusion Melbourne was, worked with them initially to put a report together. Um, someone from that organisation went and to a, a few other places like the UK and Canada and did some... Um, talking to people about what they've tried and um, so that it kind of came from that project that naturally we know what's happening in other places yeah. so we've got some ideas what about Australia
3: so um, it kind of, it came through that. Um, yeah so how does Australia compare to places like the UK and Canada and other places? Well we don't we don't really
11: know because right. um, there hasn't really been any research there's a lot of stories like anyone who's talked about this or thought about this in the field knows that people don't vote as often as other people but there's no research there's no numbers so we don't know that's a part of what we're trying to gather in a way is is, um if people are voting or not and and what we're finding is that some people are but a lot of people aren't Mm -hmm. so yeah I guess the the answer is we think we know, but we we don't
4: <laughs> it seems crazy to me that it's like two thousand and seventeen, and this hasn't been thought about mm. before or researched before or like put in place is there is this like indicative of how people with intellectual disabilities are excluded from the wider society yeah as well
11: absolutely I mean it's only it it's shocking, but it's only recently that people with intellectual disability have been thought of as citizens who, mm-hmm. who have a, have the same right. rights to these kind of things. Like It's really very recent. So as a result, research hasn't happened in terms of like political philosophy and stuff It just been excluded outright or just not even considered as a part of the, um, you know, thinking about citizenship and so it's it's all kind of new in a lot of areas, mm. um, so more research mm. and action yeah. <laughs> yeah.
12: not
4: just research, research. Yeah. I think it like hearing you speak about this is both like really exciting because I'm like, oh, that's a really cool project to be happening, but also also really sad, just mm. being like I can't believe it's taken this long for something like that to happen and thinking all the different ways that people are excluded in ways that you can't actually see, Mm. like it's harder to see just off the, you know, straight away. Exactly. Um,
2: And and I think mentioning too before that not all disability is visible, you know, during the election, uh, you mentioned it earlier, it's all about, I don't know, um, saying what you're going to do Mm. and then making it legible. So at the Mm. moment, you know, there's this... Uh, i guess even aged care and then you look at the whole rollout of the ndis so far back and then it's it's still a minefield that Mm. i don't understand well because i'm I'm not in that space but i'm trying to understand it during you know the the work that we do here but it's just so confusing i don't think many
11: people seem to understand (laughs) it so i don't think um and it's it's obviously 10
2: times harder when you actually have a disability and you know, let alone you can't actually have your voice heard, but some mm. of the services that are being delivered are probably impacting on you very, you know. Exactly.
11: Uh, and yeah. uh, you put on top of that, you're told by a lot of people around you that you're not capable, you can't do these things, you don't have a right to do them. No. That really does, it's um something that needs to change.
2: A- and when do you think, Um. so obviously then the state election is your... Sort of your pyramid and your bell curve, right at the top there. Yeah. Do you do you do you plan to do a fair bit of work to get to that, or will 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 the circumstances dictate how quickly you move?
11: Um, well, I think the circumstances and the timeframes are going to dictate what's possible. Yeah. So, um, uh, we, we, I th- I'm sure, and I know we'll come up with a lot of recommendations. Yeah. But yeah. Um, what what's actually um, delivered, I'm not sure. Yeah. When we're working with the Victorian Election Commission and some other disability organisations who will hopefully um, help with implementing that as well and and we will be able to evaluate it and write out what worked, what didn't and hopefully then that can be passed on to other electoral commissions, to other organisations and more and more can happen using that information, that knowledge.
2: And hopefully by that stage, everyone's got their citizenship stuff sorted. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's right, yeah. yeah.
11: <laughs> but we might, you know, getting more people with intellectual disability to vote, we might actually Bring sway some marginal seats
5: or mm. something. So yeah, for sure.
11: a few extra thousand people on the electoral roll. Mm. Watch out, politicians.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we won't wrap it up, but was there anything else you wanted to add before?
11: Sure. I might just... Um, plug if there's any listeners with intellectual disability or supporters who want to be involved you can contact me or my number is um 03 9479 5740 we'd like to hear from you
2: and you can also tune in to Home Time at 4 o'clock this afternoon on uh, 3CR, and it's all about, uh, I guess, disability access, news, chat, and music. Um, so we might, you know, let them know and give them your details as well for their show. But yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, thanks. for joining us cool.
10: on 3CR, Sophia.
12: Thank you, everyone. <laughs>
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter.
8: Five hundred men for
7: years, ever got Union Busters are back on the docks, this time a company called ICTSI. A worker has been sacked for standing up to the bosses against bullying and harassment. A community assembly has come together to support the dock workers and have started a 24-hour protest. We are holding the line, but we need your help. Get down to 78 Web Dock Drive, Port Melbourne and join the community assembly at any time of the day or night. For more information and details, call Workers Solidarity on 0401
8: 516 967.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR
0: supporter.
6: You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sempari brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
12: Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return, you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward/wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, a 3CR supporter.
2: Welcome back, you're on 855am3cr.org.au. You can listen in online. <clears throat> Thought we might break up the show a little bit with um, our next guest. Um, public speaking is said to be one of our biggest fears. Most people, you know, a- apart from those people who just walk around and pretend that they can public speak and <laughs> never have to do it. Um, whether it's saying thanks at a Christmas shindig or speaking at your best friend's wedding or even delivering a presentation at work, I think most people um, might find it a challenge. But to uh, talk to us a little bit more about um, getting over public speaking, though, we were joined by the CEO of Presentation Studio, Emma Bannister. Good morning, Emma.
13: Morning,
2: thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. Um, Even though people can't see us at this end, I just realised then that I was sort of getting my words muddled up, (laughs) it's like I'm doing a bit of public speaking. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about um, Presentation Studio, and then we can sort of get into the topic, I guess, of, you know, the the whole idea of public speaking nerves as well.
13: Absolutely. Well, I founded Presentation Studio because I... As a graphic designer, I have always been very introverted, you know, I'm quite happy to sit behind my computer and not get out there and and share my ideas, but as I saw how badly people were creating PowerPoints and really terrible company presentations, I really felt there was a need to, A, visualize that better, and B, be able to communicate more effectively, and it's something that businesses do all the time. We share all these presentations, but they nearly always miss their message and purpose and never really achieve anything. They just stand there and read off lists of slides. So um, that was why I started. I started to help people communicate better. And so now we help some of the biggest and some of the smallest companies around the world to communicate better through presentations. So that's been exciting. But what I learned on that journey was that I could prevent that real introverted, Fearful feeling that I have when I present by learning some small tricks and, and I can tell you I was one of the scaredest people but but I did find a way of overcoming that
2: and you sort of mentioned um, you know your your journey and the industry that you were in which is probably a, a, an industry that um, you know um, maybe didn't have such a, a large number of women a while back working in the technology area as well
13: yeah no we, I mean it's uh, leading the company, there's there's not two women, and also the the technology side, we've had lots of support from companies like Apple and Microsoft to really embrace this and want people to use their software better. So that that's been really exciting to help
2: us. And, and you mentioned that you were a self-confessed introvert yourself, um, and you've had to sort of step into the limelight. What 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 was the main sort of change that you found when you? that when you did your first public speaking engagement after realising that uh, you had all of these worries?
13: I did find that um, having the confidence of good-looking slides and visuals behind me really helped my audience understand. So that was something that was very powerful. But then I actually um, set myself this challenge of what was the the scariest presentation I could do, do that, and then everything else seems easy after that. So I... I actually flew to Silicon Valley presented to some peers in a very big um auditorium and that was the scariest thing I could think of and then everything after that seemed easy um but but I don't recommend that for everyone I think some of the best places to start are just not don't say no to the small things take um an opportunity to speak at the family table or speak with your colleagues and really build your your um confidence that way start small <laughs>
2: and you mentioned that um you know you you you've got really five top rules that you stick within to make sure that um you can get through the whole public speaking uh i guess uh, for your process
13: definitely and and you know the the first
5: one it sounds incredibly obvious to totally me <laughs> I, I was thinking
13: that <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the trouble with presentations and speaking events are it's kind of like the dentist. We put it off because we don't want to do it or there's something in us. Oh, it's a bit, don't want to know. So we leave it to the last minute and then, of course, we don't practice enough. So just even having those sort of dot points of what you're going to say and then practicing out loud with uh, friends, children, dogs, or just in the anywhere you can find a space because... Often what I see is people just read scripts and try and memorize scripts and you can't memorize something like this because when the adrenaline kicks in and you stop breathing properly, you will forget what you were trying to memorize. So rehearsing and practicing. Uh, The next is that that feeling in your belly when you're really, really nervous. Um, Try and flip that around. It's the same physical sensation as excitement. So if you can tell your body, this isn't just nerves, this is excitement, I've got this really amazing gift to share. People want to hear my point of view. They've asked me to speak. I need to give them that opportunity. And don't start by telling everyone you're terrible. That is one of the worst things you can do. Because people that hadn't thought you were terrible will now be thinking you're terrible if you start that way. And,
2: And they'll be picking apart everything that you say.
13: Totally. And they wouldn't have been had you not said that to start with. Um, and then breathing is is so crucial because when we get nervous, we either start breathing really high up into our throat, or we just stop. And of course, then that um, the oxygen supplied to your brain, you will literally not remember what you're saying. So that's pretty huge. Um, and one of the things that I see and and now practice a lot myself is you know that raspy feeling you get in your throat when you. Think that you are just about to sort of drown up on stage and everything's going wrong, and we reach through the water. And it's not the water that helps us; it's it, the sensation in you would know this, is that the the vocal cords are actually contracting the false vocal cords. So the only way to stop that is to smile, and and we see that with politicians and other speakers. They, they stand there grinning, and it helps. Um. um. Oh, sorry. Continue. Were you oh, going no. to? I was just going to say, and then the final one is to, to not drink too much, <laughs> oh,
5: <God>.
2: mm. <laughs> which is obvious. <laughs>
13: um, so
3: um, you know, the, 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 there's word out there that most approaches to, to public speaking, um, that sort of thing, it's, it's sort of based on like sort of this like um, sort of Western conceptualizations of. Um, uh, you know how, how to speak and that sort of thing. So I was just wondering if there are any sort of 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 um, things that include views of like like in literature out there or any tips that would include views of 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 women or you know uh, minorities. So for example, if you have um like uh, if English is not your first language, um, if you're speaking to a room full of white men and you're not a white man, you know those sort of things.
13: The Most important thing is to try and just be yourself. So culturally, there are lots of different challenges. You know, if you go to Japan and present, people will be sitting there literally with their eyes closed. And it's not because they're being rude, it's because they're really listening intently to what you're saying. But it's a very different audience to speak to. Imagine speaking to everyone with their eyes closed. Or if you're in a boardroom and it's sort of your typical male, white, senior dominated room. Don't try and be like them, but don't be the girly girl. So be be yourself, be passionate about what you're talking about, and that's what people buy into. So we just have to be more authentic in our thinking and not try and fall into any stereotypes. Uh, culturally, you, there are uh, the, the vocal challenges, so very strong accents, are a challenge to overcome and we actually do specific training to help reduce those strong dialects where people do then have trouble understanding what you're saying um, and then you really need to sort of slow it down, pause and have the, the, the breaks in what you're saying so that people can understand you because it's the, the cultural thing works both ways, you know, do they understand Like they might not be English speaking language in your audience so we have to respect that um, and particularly metaphors you know if if you're if you're talking to an american audience then talking about baseball and that those kind of analogies make sense but not if you're talking to people that really don't understand that so you have to consider your audience so strongly
2: and uh, yeah it's interesting because i think that's uh, when you work for a big organization sometimes that's a that's a problem a lot of the speakers make you know they expect that because we live in such a a, tech, a small world in a sense due to the internet that everybody knows what's happening in their country so they get up there and start talking about ice hockey and you know yeah. half the room in Australia <laughs> have not even seen a game of ice hockey so
13: exactly not relevant
2: yeah yeah but um you, you've got a obviously there's a book called um, visual thinking how to transform the way you think communicate and influence uh, with presentations that's that's available out at the moment
13: Yes, it is. So it's my first book and it's really that opportunity to give people a bit of a how-to guide so they can understand and create their own presentations as well as just thinking generally how to communicate and, and being able to share their information more effectively.
2: It's uh, It's been a pleasure having you. We really appreciate that. It's interesting. Uh, just before I let you go, do you touch on things like mindfulness um, at all? Like, um I don't know, I guess uh, you you talk about it being your first book and I'm thinking, well, if people are really, really scared, there's a book that's just come out here called, it's a kid's book called Outsmarting Worry. So should they start with that first so that they can, you know, work out a way to deal with that, turning that anxiety into excitement before they get to your book or is it an easy read?
13: Oh, it's very easy read. There's lots of pictures, but I, you know, I think that having a good headspace about it and really trying not to work out, work it up into a major drama, doesn't.
5: It's not the end of
13: the world. You just like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. Mm.
2: <laughs> Especially if they've got you in there because you're the expert in your field.
13: Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. So take advantage of that. People want to hear from you and get that message out there. I mean, that those little things are what will change the world. So. Get out there and just
2: do it. It's the only way you get better. Thank you, Emma. We really appreciate you joining us on three C R and um yeah, good luck with um getting out there and teaching the world how to uh public uh, uh present, I guess.
13: Thank you. Uh it's it's a big job.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks
13: for having me. Bye. Thanks,
2: bye. And that was Emma Bannister, the CEO of the presentation studio. I think it's um I didn't touch on that, but I think I was saying to you, you know, the world that we live in now, which is so focused on technology, sometimes you drive past the school, uh, at the end of school, and you'll see the, a group of four kids walking together, but they're on their phone, they're walking to the station together, whereas when we were going to school, you just talked all the way home. You know, So the art of public speaking, then is, it might lead to teaching people about the art of just communicating with people and listening more so than being able to present because you could just hold your phone up there and have a pre-record of yourself that you did the night before in front of your dog. That's your public speaking. <laughs> <laughs>
14: This year, thousands of people seeking asylum will spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prison camps and Australian detention centres. Men, women and children are separated from their families, living in horrendous conditions and have no certainty of their future. Join the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to let them know that they are not alone and we hear their plea for safety. Sign the open letter to deliver a message of hope to people seeking asylum and refugees by Christmas. Visit addmyvoice.org.au A 3CR supporter.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst Imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night When hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January Or catch our December preview It's all free For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingAdela at G.
0: We're Chronically, Chronically Chilled,
14: a program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives.
0: Listen to Chronically Chilled the first Wednesday of every month at 6 pm, starting December 6th.
1: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join... Go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defence fund. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash solidarity defence fund. A 3CR supporter.
12: Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact wellbeing. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, a 3CR supporter.
4: You're listening to 3CR Community Breakfast. Um, up now we're, talked, uh, we're joined by Christine Bigby who's the Director of Living with a Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University. Good morning Chris. Hi, good morning. Um, can you start Hi. by telling us a little bit about the work that you do at the Living with Disability Centre?
15: So the Living with Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University aims to build an evidence base to inform how we can better achieve the social participation and inclusion and realise the rights of people primarily with uh, cognitive disabilities. Cool. So uh, we do a lot of work and it's it's very applied type of research. So what does it mean for practice?
4: Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in talking about the NDIS and kind of how that came about. Can you give us like a brief kind of outline of disability policy before the NDIS and how the NDIS was kind of chosen and then... Run with by government. That's an enormous question.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a bit like that, isn't it? Just, <laughs> just, just, summarize it in thirty seconds. Yeah,
5: yeah.
4: yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take <laughs> that and answer it how you will. <laughs> really,
15: the NDIS is is a is a major policy reform, and I think the reason why it got so much traction and happened so quickly was that it had bipartisan support from you know both parties and a coalition of of all the advocacy groups in the sector so that was a a consensus that there was something very wrong with the way in which we'd done disability policy up till then on the books we had you know quite good policy quite forward-thinking policy um, that talked about rights and participation but there had been this big implementation gap so there was no money actually that went with that policy and there were long waiting lists Um, people didn't have a right to a service even though they might be seen to be eligible and so the whole system ran on this sort of crisis approach that you couldn't get a service until you were actually you know in, in crisis till you were homeless till your parents if you were a child with a disability till your parents couldn't cope anymore and And actually, maybe sometimes placed you in care because that was the only alternative. And many people lived at home uh, well into middle age with their elderly parents because there were no other housing and accommodation options for people. So there was, you know, there was there was a need for reform, and there was a lot of advocacy that led up to the Productivity Commission report doing a big inquiry into the disability system. And they they uh, concluded that we needed to double the amount of expenditure in in the system, and that it was basically underfunded and unfair and fragmented. And we're also, I mean, Australia is a signature to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, and we weren't really meeting um, the, the parameters of that convention. So there were lots of lots of problems with that policy. Um, but I think fundamentally, because people didn't have a right to a service. That could be enforced
4: so what does that look like in practice that they don't have a right to a service like how was the decision of who got services made
15: so it was based on it was was based on two things really on the amount of uh, advocacy that you could muster Mm -hmm. um, whether you had strong advocates who could jump up and down sufficiently so you could jump the queue to get a service or Um, whether you were, as I said before, you know, in in a real crisis situation. Mm -hmm. So there was very little sort of early intervention and and preventative type support that happened to people. People's needs just escalated. Um, And that really was very traumatic for a lot of people who really had to leave home in very dreadful circumstances.
4: Mm So with the NDIS, can you just touch a little bit on the theoretical underpinnings of why they chose an insurance scheme and what that kind of means?
15: Well, the NDIS, um, it's like it's got two faces. So on, the, on one face of it, it's going to double funding to disability support and it will give um, about 460,000 people who are eligible participants an enforceable right to a service.
5: Mm-hmm.
15: Um, and if they don't uh, like the plan or the funding that they're allocated, they have the right to appeal that to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and to the Federal Court. So that really gives people a sort of um, a, a, an enforceable right to something to support, to enable them to participate in society. But on the other hand, it's really, it's the progression of of the neoliberal reforms in the welfare state that we've seen happening over the last sort of 20, 20 25 years, which is about bringing individualism to the fore uh, rather than collective provision. So individuals taking more responsibility um, because they'll be allocated, they'll become consumers. So they'll be allocated an individualized package of of money that they have to spend on particular things and then they'll be able to exercise choice and control, but they'll have to organise finding those services. Um, And as consumers, they'll have to exercise that sort of judgment. And the other side of it is that it's also about marketisation. So the, the biggest reform for the disability service system and for services is that they won't have a block funding anymore. They'll be reliant on every single customer coming through the door with their bundle of money which Mm. will be a very uncertain future for some of those organisations. And Uh, it also assumes that people can be really good consumers and can judge quality and know exactly what they want and that there's lots of services out there to choose from. And actually, that's not the case, um, certainly not at the moment. Mm. Uh,
2: And, Chris, you're speaking to Dean here. We're speaking to um, uh, Chris uh, Bigby, the Director of Living with a Disability Research Centre at La Trobe Uni. And... More recently, there's the, there's been the horrifying news of a 63 year old woman who had planned a mercy killing, murder suicide after, you know, 33 years of caring for, caring for her autistic son. And she sort of mentioned that she'd called the NDIS a few times but never got back. Are you finding that that consumerism approach is leading to some people who are not really, um, I guess, you know, aware of where to go being left behind?
15: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's been a number of, of dreadful instances, that, that that woman. There was a young man uh, that was reported in Melbourne, actually, a, a few weeks ago, who actually had a package of $1.5 million, but ended up on remand in the remand centre. This is a young man with intellectual disability mm. and autism. Because the government uh, has removed itself from the delivery of services, and from that negotiation and transaction work, which we call, you know, in our field, case management or uh, case coordination. So it means that the government is just a funder and doesn't bear responsibility for actually helping people find and, and sort out the services that they need. And the problem with that is if you leave it to then to the market, the market may say, well, some people actually are... Too difficult or too sure. risky uh, to provide services for and so who provides them who provides for people in that sort of last resort provider of last resort and at the moment that's really still very very unclear and we know really from the research from the UK and in other welfare states that it's the people without strong advocates without strong family networks who have cognitive disabilities who find it incredibly difficult to articulate their own needs in a way that can be understood by, you know, a planner with very little experience of disability. Mm. Um, There's nobody at the moment whose role is to sort of really provide a thorough assessment and planning support for people who find it difficult to do that for themselves. And it's those people that are going to be really most disadvantaged and the evidence shows that those people have been most disadvantaged already in these individualized funding systems. So there's lots of, there's, there's pluses and minuses, but we know that you need a layer of really good advocacy support and really good professional support to enable people to really articulate what their needs are and then to find and de- and develop the right type of support for them.
4: Yeah, um, I know you've touched on uh, the problems but, like, how widespread is that? You know, is like, is there just a couple of people that are having problems with getting packages and getting the support? Or is that actually, like, across the board, there's lots of problems with the rollout of the NDIS?
15: I think that's, very, that's incredibly hard to say because, you know, the, the rollout is happening. It's still not fully rolled out. It's not going to be fully rolled out until 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's learning as it goes. And Mm. that's a major plus. But there's just been a a second report from the Productivity Commission about the cost of the NDIS and about some of the issues. And they took public submissions and they did some of their own investigations. And, you know, if you read that report, there's a suggestion that there are some widespread issues, particularly for people with complex needs. Um, And
2: And, and in different sectors too, Chris. I'm, I'm imagining like in children's and then adults and then aged care as well.
15: Uh, the NDIS doesn't 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 include aged care, but the same idea about individualised funding and mm. self-directed funding is being rolled out there. So I think it's fair to say that it is fairly widespread, but the implement the people that are implementing the system are are changing as they go along. So they've just, for example, said we're not going to do phone planning, um, which was one of the major criticisms, with people who have uh, cognitive disabilities anymore. Mm. And we're going to make sure that people have much better face-to-face planning and we're going to have some specialist planners who have better understanding of disability.
2: Uh, sorry just to to go back to what you just said and this is where it's a bit confusing I think I mentioned to the guys that there's so much information we can't break it down you just said to me the NDIS does not include aged care obviously they're different but if you're in your 80s and you've got a disability where do you sit
15: oh well we have two systems we have the disability system and we have the aged care system so if you have a disability before the age of 65 Or if you're already in the system and you're ageing, then you can stay in the disability system. But if you're a person without a disability and you're just ageing and you happen to acquire a disability, as most people do as they get older. We're all
2: getting there. That's
15: right. Then you, and the biggest number of people with disabilities are older people. Okay. Then you're in the age care system. system. And the difference is that, and it comes back to the insurance issue, that older people... Have had very. Most people have had productive lives. They've had, they've worked. They've got much more wealth than other people in the community. They've got superannuation, and the aged care system is very much a self-funded system. Whereas the disability system is now an insurance system that says, well, you can't, you can't help it if you get a disability when you're an adult or when yeah. you're a child. That's a chance that happens. It happens to everybody, and so the insurance system will will pay if that happens to you.
2: And and, so it's not and, a
15: user pays system in the same way that the aged care system is.
2: And going back to what you just said earlier too, having the experts who know exactly what they're talking about makes a world of difference because you're the first person and I've read a lot that's explained to me the difference between how those services work hand in hand the NDIS and the aged care and what constitutes which package you get and where you fall so thank you for that
15: yeah but you know you think about older people too the idea of many of those older people really don't want to manage their own packages Um, they just want help to articulate what they need and then they want somebody to deliver it um, that suits in a way that suits them but they don't want to manage it themselves because mm. they've got other things to worry about. Um,
4: just briefly, I think you're starting to touch on it but also, like, who are the people that are working as support people in disability and if the NDIS is going to increase the level of people getting support, where are they getting people that are going to work as support workers in that and are there problems in that? At the moment, <laughs>
15: yes. I mean, if we're doubling the amount of money that's going into to disability, then we're obviously increasing the workforce enormously. Mm. And um, there's been a lot of attention to well, where are we going to find uh, the increased number of support workers, but also where are we going to find the increased number of practice leaders um, and managers and coordinators that have good knowledge about practice. And really, at the moment, that's a sort of big unknown question. Um, many uh, smaller organisations, particularly in rural areas, um, I'm on the board of an organisation in Bendigo, and, and they've said, well, we can't, we can't expand anymore because we won't be able to get skilled workers. Mm. So there's a danger that the sort of reforms will stall because they can't get good workers or that the quality will go down. Um, And there's also been concern about the pricing. So it's not really a market because the price is fixed by the NDIS. And if you don't have good training built, training funding built into that and good supervision and practice leadership, then again, the quality will go down. So the whole workforce issue is an enormous sort of question that's getting a lot of attention, but it's not clear.
5: Searches are
8: anonymous. Plus there are no data fees if you're on the Telstra network. No shame, just ask Izzy. That's A S K I
0: Breakfast. Oh, Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, to 8:30am. <laughs>
5: your your
2: <laughs> Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast on the 7th of December. 2017. Good morning, Shares. Good morning, Grace.
3: Good morning, guys. Well, good morning, Dean and Grace. Nice,
2: (laughs) nice, nice to be back in the studio after a two-week sojourn. But just quickly, I might just um, acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, and we acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation, and we like to acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded, and the treaty was never signed. And this is... Thursday breakfast what's on the show today
4: Um, so first up we're going to talk to Sophia Tipping who works um, at La Trobe University as a research assistant and going to be talking about a project she's doing um, looking at people with intellectual disabilities and how they vote and trying to get them more engaged in the political system
2: And at um, 7.30, I'll be speaking to the CEO of Presentation Studio, Emma Bannister, and it's really, um, uh, well, not that we've got the problem, but it's about, uh, I guess, getting over public speaking. Uh, and she's written a book I about that.
5: Have, I still have that problem. I <laughs> yeah, think. well, I mean, you're, you're here. are not even in It's
2: public. not like you're in yeah. bed. Ba- that's right. But a, I'm not speaking a public to
3: a huge uh, audience of, like, you know, a whole auditorium of we people. We just can't <laughs> see them. There's teams yeah. of people
4: out there listening.
3: Yeah, but, you
2: know. yeah. And, you know, the old adage, imagine them naked can still work even though we can't really see <laughs> oh, them. Oh, <laughs> no, <that's terrible.
4: laughs> Um, at 7.45, we're going to talk to Chris Bigby, who's the Director of the Living with Disability Centre at La Trobe University. We're going to be talking about the NDIS, um, how it came about and what are some of the problems with rolling it out. Um, and
3: then at 8.10, uh, we have Keenan Muir coming in um, and he's a Senior Project Manager at the Currie Youth Centre um, and he's going to be talking about an upcoming exhibition or I think it's actually... Uh, uh, on now, uh, called Mar- Marambik um, at the Melbourne Museum looking at Aboriginal identity in the modern world
2: and just so we are still on top of it, it is still 16 days of activism which started on November the 25th um, against uh, violence I guess well, g- gender violence no, age violence and violence against women in general as and well children, yeah. and children um, and on December the 10th which is Sunday is International Human Rights Day and that's when it, it concludes. So I'll talk a little bit about a project that uh, Geek Girl is working on, which is called um, She Makes Change. So hashtag She Change, which is I guess a one-day power session coming on Saturday, mm-hmm. and we we're meant to get somebody from Geek Girl Academy, but we haven't been able to. Um, but you know, we'll uh, push on.
6: <laughs> you are invited to Pari Exhibition celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or... DFAIT West Papua website Sampari Brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office A 3CR supporter
7: Union Busters are back on the docks, this time a company called ICTSI. A worker has been sacked for standing up to the bosses against bullying and harassment. A community assembly has come together to support the dock workers and have started a 24-hour protest. We are holding the line, but we need your help. Get down to 78 Web Dock Drive, Port Melbourne, and join the community assembly at any time of the day or night. For more information and details, Call Workers Solidarity on 0401
8: 516 967. Together, never cross a, line. Never cross a line, In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday,
9: years in the making radical radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station
8: at 300 pages the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs people
6: music and technology from across the decades you can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street
8: Fitzroy
9: or online at 3CR.org
8: Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
2: Uh, we're back. It's good that our show is um, got the full team again. I was just uh, mentioning to Grace here in the studio that um, unfortunately I missed the, all the action that uh, involved our. Well, not our man, but that involved Milo y- Yiannopoulos, um, and so I wake up this morning and reading that. Uh, apart from everything else, his promoters and himself will be billed at least fifty thousand dollars by Victoria Police for the protests that took place.
8: It's um, <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm
2: I was like, uh, I is, is it is it me, or was I hearing the news reports that the left wing protesters are just troublemakers or pests?
4: I think that has been a discourse in the media for a really long time. For, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really problematic kind of um. equating um, people who are fascist and at like, proud of being a fascist <laughs> with people that are standing up and trying to counter that and have a position of no platform and trying to stop people um, from spouting this racist stuff. And also the people that are there that are on the side of the fascists, that are fascists, are mm. actually really violent uh-huh. and you know, are causing a lot of the trouble on those demonstrations. But also if they feel like they have power in the streets, they're going to be inflicting violence on a lot of other people at different points in time as well, which is also why the rallies are there trying to stop it. Mm. Um,
3: and also um, just the police presence mm. at, the, at the rally um, was um, quite... Like it was quite obvious. So, so for so for example, uh, the police um, in front of the, uh, you know, I'm putting it in, you know, uh, brackets up here, um, in quotation marks. Um, the left wing protesters um, were sort of the right the police in right gear, and the ones in front of uh, the fascists uh, were just normal, normal uh, police, not with
4: um, that scary uh, Ninja Turtle gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they also got shields out really quickly and were in, like, uh, proper riot gear police-like uh, style, which is also really antagonistic. And the fact also that the like the Melbourne Pavilion or whatever it's called is, like, down Stubbs Road and the police decided to hold everybody on the intersection of uh, Racecourse Road right opposite... The flats where yeah. a lot of people that come from multicultural backgrounds, mm. a lot mm-hmm. of people that are Muslim live in those flats. And to have the police like that and the fascists right on their doorstep was really antagonistic mm-hmm. as well.
2: And, and obviously, I, I didn't see it, no one's in here, but were there barriers? Did they even bother putting barriers or did they just decide we'll have police standing there to stop people on one side and then standing on the other side?
3: There were some, there, there were only like a little bit of barriers um, on the side, on Stubbs, is it Stubbs Street. Yeah, the, Stubbs that's Road, the Stubbs Road, the one that comes into Racecourse Road, yeah, mm-hmm. um, to uh, just to divide the people lining up to get into Milo's event, um, but yeah, just f- further to what Grace was saying, um, a lot of a lot of people um were were saying, no, this is our this is our home, you know, why, you know, get out of our land, yeah, um, to to the police that were um quite actually being quite aggressive so yeah.
2: yeah it's um it's a shame we couldn't get to um speak to Flem from oh. is it Kay in uh, legal y- yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: Um, yeah. so and Kensington Legal Centre we'll keep trying maybe we can yeah. talk to them next
2: week yeah, yeah yeah it's um and now his Sydney location has been kept under wraps and and a lot of uh, I was just speaking to a friend of mine who sort of mentioned that they didn't realize that he was so young Oh. And you know, I think we spoke about it with Debbie, that that whole idea that um I don't know, it, that is it somebody who wants a fifteen minutes of frame, do they really does he really believe what he's saying or is he just trying to get a reaction and mm. maybe become the next Kim Kardashian?
3: Also like what he says it's just not that
2: intelligent. It's <laughs> not that
3: great. It's <laughs> oh, like, kind you of like you know, kind of boring, you it's know. It's like picketing I, I, the like, Moreland City yeah. Council
2: every day. They have their every time they have their meeting. It's yeah. you know. It's a bit strange, but um, yeah, some people have their um, their own agenda, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but I think we've got our next guest ready. We'll maybe go to a few community announcements and uh, get Sophia on.
1: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity. Defence Fund. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. A 3CI supporter.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter.
1: Thank you. The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence Fund. A 3CR supporter.
4: Good morning. Uh, You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Um, so we're joined by Sophia Tipping, who's a research assistant at La Trobe University. Good morning, Sophia. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, do you want to start by just saying a little bit about the types of research that you do at La Trobe University?
11: Yeah, well, um, I'm a part of the Living with Disability Research Centre, so we, we do research about disability, and we, we do a lot of research related to people with intellectual disability as well, mm-hmm. about community participation and rights and all kinds of things. Cool.
2: And and So don't interrupt just quickly, disability isn't always visible either, is it?
11: No, no, there's um, invisible disabilities. So a lot of people with intellectual disability have invisible disability and can't, um, you know, get people don't uh, immediately recognise that that or understand that they might need certain things or have a different way of being in the world than other people,
4: Mm. so it can be quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, So can you tell us a bit about uh, the research project you're doing in terms of voting and people with intellectual disabilities?
11: Yeah, well I thought I might um, start with a a story about Mm -hmm. a kind of person called Frances, who is sort of made up. She comes from a lot of different people I've spoken to. Um, So she's a young woman and she has uh, an intellectual disability. So, and as many young women and men and anyone does, yep. she's starting to think about some new things that she's doing, and one of those things is voting. But she runs into some roadblocks. She's told by the people around her that it's not something she can do. She's At best, she's told, you know, oh, don't worry about it, it's not for you. Yep. At worst, she's told she's too stupid to vote. Hmm. Um, she's dissuaded at the polling place because the electoral staff have stopped her from bringing someone to support her into the polling booth. And she's dissuaded by the nature of political debate and information that's out there, which is um, unintelligible to all of us, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, you know, it's very argumentative and um,
4: adversarial and And they also use so many words that don't actually, like you have to filter through what they're actually trying to say. Exactly.
11: Well, just tell us what you're going to do. Come on, you know. (laughs) Um, so, so Frances, as a result, isn't having a say in democracy the way most of us do in Australia. Mm -hmm. But she's someone who's also very deeply affected by decisions that are made at government. She uses a lot of social services. Um and she you know, perhaps more than other people in the community she's she's impacted. Mm. Mm. So we kinda of thought this isn't very fair and the Victorian Electoral Commission agreed, as did Inclusion Melbourne, which is another organisation we're partnered with. And so we thought we'd we'd do some research. Um there there hasn't really been any research like this done in Australia and not much really globally, so there's a lot of questions.
4: Mm. So, how is, how are you undertaking this research? So, we're, um, talking to supporters and people
11: with intellectual disability, and, um, and that's kind of the phase we're at at the moment. And mm. then what we're going to do is, uh, we, it's an action research project, so we want, we don't want to just, you know, do the listen, and then, not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then just put it in a pile in the corner. So we're getting a group of people together, including disability support organisations, the Victorian Electoral Commission, advocacy groups, um, and people with intellectual disability, self-advocates um, with intellectual disability. And we're going to try and come up with some kind of solution that we can test for next year's state election hmm. and see if it works.
2: Yeah, I guess that, that was going to be my point, that, you yeah. know, well, state election's a good start, but the federal election's so far away. And I think things like... Um, being dissuaded to vote And then even getting to a polling booth In some places You're limited um, by the facilities That are available mm. there So you can't, there's no ramp to get into there mm. So if you're in a wheelchair Well you can't vote from outside So all of those have a, a flow on effect
5: That's
11: right and that's not even getting to the The inaccessible stuff For people with intellectual disability Which is often a lot harder to to do It's a lot harder to make Information accessible mm. And, mm. and um, really you know uh, abstract ideas accessible and things like that so that's that's the next step I think and making sure people have support from people they trust as well
4: mm. So I know it's the start of the research project but do you have ideas of like how you will synthesise that information and make it more accessible like is there
11: um, Yeah well it's the start so that's a journey I think we've got to go on but we we'll, we're going to try and turn our report into something that's accessible, particularly for the people who will be on our committee, so they can, um, uh, you know, use that to come up, help us come up with, you know, some kind of solution that's going to work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's the journey we're going to go on. We'll see how that goes.
2: <laughs> uh, and what, what, what? What was it that you think led to, to the, maybe the Victorian Electoral Commission getting on board? You know, what were what some of the sort of uh, key um, findings or messages that you gave to them so that they could support this project?
11: Well, um, I, Inclusion Melbourne was, worked with them initially to put a report together. Um, someone from that organisation went and to a, a few other places like the UK and Canada and did some... Um, talking to people about what they've tried and um, so that it kind of came from that project that naturally we know what's happening in other places yeah. so we've got some ideas what about Australia
3: so um, it kind of, it came through that. Um. Yeah so how does Australia compare to places like the UK and Canada and other places? Well we don't we don't really
11: know because um, there hasn't really been any research there's a lot of stories like anyone who's talked about this or thought about this in the field knows that people don't vote as often as other people but there's no research there's no numbers so we don't know that's a part of what we're trying to gather in a way is is, um if people are voting or not and and what we're finding is that some people are but a lot of people aren't Mm. so yeah I guess the the answer is we think we know but we we don't
4: (laughs) it seems crazy to me that it's like 2017 and this hasn't been thought about Mm. before or researched before or like put in place is there is this like indicative of how people with intellectual disabilities are excluded from the wider society yeah as well
11: absolutely I mean it's only it's shocking but it's only recently that people with intellectual disability have been thought of as citizens who -hmm. who have have the same rights to these kind of things like it's really very recent so as a result research hasn't happened in terms of like political philosophy and stuff that just have been excluded outright or just not even considered as a part of the um you know thinking about citizenship and so it's it's all kind of new in a lot of areas. Mm. Um, so more research mm. and action, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
12: not
4: just research. research. <laughs> yeah. I think it. Like hearing you speak about this is both like really exciting because I'm like, oh, that's a really cool project to be happening, but also also really sad. Just mm. being like, I can't believe it's taken this long for something like that to happen, and thinking all the different ways that people are excluded in ways that you can't actually see, Mm. like it's harder to see just off the, you know, straight away. Exactly. Um,
2: And and I think mentioning too before that not all disability is visible, you know, during the election, uh, you mentioned it earlier, it's all about, I don't know, um, saying what you're going to do Mm. and then making it legible. So at the Mm. moment, you know, there's this... Uh, I guess even aged care and then you look at the whole rollout of the NDIS so far back and then it's it, it's still a minefield that mm. I don't understand well because I'm, I'm not in that space but
5: I mean, I'm trying
2: un- to understand it during you know the, the work that we do here but it's just so confusing I don't think many
11: people seem to understand <laughs> yeah. it so I don't think um, and yeah, it's, t- it's obviously learn. 10
2: times harder when you actually have a disability yeah. and you know, let alone you can't actually have your voice heard, but some mm. of the services that are being delivered are probably impacting on you very, you know. Exactly.
11: Uh, and yeah. uh, you put on top of that, you're told by a lot of people around you that you're not capable, you can't do these things, you don't have a right to do them. Mm. That really does, it's um something that needs to change.
2: A- and when do you think, Um. so obviously the the state election is your... Sort of your pyramid and your bell curve right at the top there. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you do you plan to do a fair bit of work to get to that, or will 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 the circumstances dictate how quickly you move?
11: Um, well, I think the circumstances and the timeframes are going to dictate what's possible. Yeah. So. Um, uh, we, we, I th- I'm sure, and I know we'll come up with a lot of recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, what what's actually um, delivered, I'm not sure. Yeah. And we're working with the Victorian Electoral Commission and some other disability organisations who will hopefully um, help with implementing that as well, and and we, we'll be able to evaluate it and write out what worked, what didn't, and. Hopefully then that can be passed on to other electoral commissions, to other organisations and m- more and more can happen using that information, that knowledge.
2: And hopefully by that stage everyone's got their citizenship stuff sorted. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm.
11: that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we might, you know, getting more people with intellectual disability to vote, we might actually Sing sway some marginal seats mm-hmm. or something. So yeah, for sure. So a few extra thousand people on the electoral roll. Mm-hmm. Watch out,
4: politicians. (laughs) Um, We won't wrap it up, but was there anything else you wanted to add before?
11: Sure. I might just um, plug if there's any listeners with intellectual disability or supporters who want to be involved. You can contact me. My number is um, 03-9479-5740. We'd like to hear from you.
2: And you can also tune in to Home Time at 4 o'clock this afternoon on uh, 3CR, and it's all about, uh, I guess, disability access, news, chat, and music. Um, So we might, you know, let them know and give them your details as well for their show. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks Thanks. for joining us on 3CR, Sophia.
12: Thank you, everyone.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter.
8: 500 men sacked
7: for reasons got Union Busters are back on the docks, this time a company called ICTSI A worker has been sacked for standing up to the bosses against bullying and harassment A community assembly has come together to support the dock workers and have started a 24 hour protest We are holding the line but we need your help Get down to 78 Web Dock Drive, Port Melbourne and join the community assembly at any time of the day or night. For more information and details, call Worker Solidarity on 0401 516
8: 967.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter.
6: You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
12: Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact wellbeing. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A 3CR supporter.
2: Welcome back, you're on 855am3cr.org.au. You can listen in online. <clears throat> Thought we might break up the show a little bit with um, our next guest. Um, public speaking is said to be one of our biggest fears. Most people, you know, a- apart from those people who just walk around and pretend that they can public speak and never have to do it. Um, whether it's saying thanks at a Christmas shindig or speaking at your best friend's wedding or even delivering a presentation at work, I think most people um, might find it a challenge. But to uh, talk to us a little bit more about um, getting over public speaking nerves, we were joined by the CEO of Presentation Studio, Emma Bannister. Good morning, Emma.
13: Morning,
2: thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. Um, even though people can't see us at this end, I just realised then that I was sort of getting my words muddled up, it's <laughs> like I'm doing a bit of public speaking. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, Presentation Studio and then we can sort of get into the topic, I guess, of, you know, the, the, getting the whole idea of public speaking nerves as well?
13: Absolutely. Well, I founded Presentation Studio because I... As a graphic designer, I have always been very introverted, you know, I'm quite happy to sit behind my computer and not get out there and and share my ideas, but as I saw how badly people were creating PowerPoints and really terrible company presentations, I really felt there was a need to, A, visualize that better and, B, be able to communicate more effectively, and it's something that businesses do all the time. We share all these presentations, but they nearly always miss their message and purpose and never really achieve anything. They just stand there and read off lists of slides. So um, that was why I started. I started to help people communicate better. And so now we help some of the biggest and some of the smallest companies around the world to communicate better through presentations. So that's been exciting. But what I learned on that journey was that I could prevent that real introverted, Fearful feeling that I have when I present by learning some small tricks and, and I can tell you I was one of the scaredest people but but I did find a way of overcoming that
2: and you sort of mentioned um, you know your your journey and the industry that you were in which is probably a, a, an industry that um, you know um, maybe didn't have such a, a large number of women a while back working in the technology area as well
13: yeah no we, I mean it's uh, leading a company, there's, there's not two women. And also the, the technology side, we've had lots of support from companies like Apple and Microsoft who have really embrace this and want people to use their software better. So that, that's been really exciting to help
2: us. And you mentioned that you were a self-confessed introvert yourself um, and you've had to sort of step into the limelight. What, what What was the main sort of change that you found when you... That when you did your first public speaking engagement after realising that uh, you had all of these worries?
13: I did find that um, having the confidence of good-looking slides and visuals behind me really helped my audience understand. So that was something that was very powerful. But then I actually um, set myself this challenge of what was the, the scariest presentation I could do, do that, and then everything else seems easy after that. So I... I actually flew to Silicon Valley, presented to some peers in a very big um, auditorium, and that was the scariest thing I could think of. And then everything after that seemed easy. Um, but but I don't recommend that for everyone. I think some of the best places to start are just not don't say no to the small things. Take um, an opportunity to speak at the family table or speak with your colleagues, and really build your your um, confidence that way. Start small. <laughs>
2: And you mentioned that um, you know you've you, you've got really five top rules that you stick within to make sure that um, you can get through the whole public speaking, uh, I guess, uh, fear process.
13: Definitely, and and you know the the first
5: one it sounds incredibly obvious, but it's totally <laughs> I, know,
13: I was thinking that. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the trouble with presentations and speaking events are it's kind of like the dentist. We put it off because we don't want to do it or there's something in us, oh, it's a bit, don't want to know. So we leave it to the last minute and then, of course, we don't practice enough. So just even having those sort of dot points of what you're going to say and then practicing out loud with uh, friends, children, dogs, or just in the anywhere you can find a space because... Often what I see is people just read scripts and try and memorize scripts and you can't memorize something like this because when the adrenaline kicks in and you stop breathing properly, you will forget what you were trying to memorize. So rehearsing and practicing. Uh, The next is that that feeling in your belly when you're really, really nervous. Um, Try and flip that around. It's the same physical sensation as excitement. So if you can tell your body, this isn't just nerves, this is excitement, I've got this really amazing gift to share, people want to hear my point of view, they've asked me to speak, Mm. I need to give them that opportunity. And don't start by telling everyone you're terrible. That is one of the worst things you can do. Because people that hadn't thought you were terrible will now be thinking you're terrible if you start that way.
2: And, And they'll be picking apart everything that you say.
13: Totally. And they wouldn't have been had you not said that to start with. Um, and then breathing is is so crucial because when we get nervous, we either start breathing really high up into our throat or we just stop. And, of course, then that um, the oxygen supplies to your brain, you will literally not remember what you're saying. So that's pretty huge. Um, and one of the things that I see and, and now practice a lot myself is, you know that raspy feeling you get in your throat when you think that you're just about to sort of drown up on stage and everything's going wrong. And we reach for the water. And it's not the water that helps us. It's it, the sensation in you would know this is that the, the vocal cords are actually contracting, the false vocal cords. So the only way to stop that is to smile. And and we see that with politicians and other speakers. They, they stand there grinning and it helps. Um. um. Oh, sorry, continue were you going okay. to? I was just gonna say, and then the final one is to not drink too much <laughs>
5: oh,
2: <God>. mm. <laughs> which is obvious <laughs>
13: um so
3: um you know the, the, the there's word out there that most approaches to to public speaking um that sort of thing it's it's sort of based on like sort of this like um, sort of western conceptualizations of um uh you know how, how to speak and that sort of thing. So I was just wondering if there are any sort of 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 um, things that include views of like like in the literature out there or any tips that would include views of 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 women or you know uh, minorities. So for example, if you have um like uh, if English is not your first language, um, if you're speaking to a room full of white men and you're not a white man, you know those sort of things.
13: The Most important thing is to try and just be yourself. So culturally, there are lots of different challenges. You know, if you go to Japan and present, people will be sitting there literally with their eyes closed. And it's not because they're being rude. It's because they're really listening intently to what you're saying. But it's a very different audience to speak to. Imagine speaking to everyone with their eyes closed. Or if you're in a boardroom and it's sort of your typical male, white, senior dominated room, don't try and be like them, but don't be the girly girl. So be be yourself, be passionate about what you're talking about, and that's what people buy into. So we just have to be more authentic in our thinking and not try and fall into any stereotypes. Uh, culturally, you, there are uh, the, the vocal challenges, so very strong accents are a challenge to overcome and we actually do specific training to help reduce those strong dialects where people do then have trouble understanding what you're saying um, and then you really need to sort of slow it down, pause and have the the, the breaks in what you're saying so that people can understand you because it's, the, the cultural thing works both ways, you know, do they understand like they might not be english speaking language in your audience so we have to respect that um, and particularly metaphors you know if if you're if you're talking to an american audience then talking about baseball and that those kind of analogies make sense but not if you're talking to people that really don't understand that so you have to consider your audience so strongly
2: and uh, yeah it's interesting because i think that's uh, when you work for a big organization sometimes that's a that's a problem a lot of the speakers make you know they expect that because we live in such a a, tech, a small world in a sense due to the internet that everybody knows what's happening in their country so they get up there and start talking about ice hockey and you know yeah. half the room in Australia <laughs> have not even seen a game of ice hockey so
13: exactly not relevant
2: yeah yeah but um you, you've got a obviously there's a book called um, visual thinking how to transform the way you think communicate and influence uh, with presentations that's that's available out at the moment Yes,
13: it is. So it's my first book, and it's really that opportunity to give people a bit of a how-to guide so they can understand and create their own presentations, as well as just thinking generally how to communicate and, and being able to share their information more effectively.
2: It's uh, It's been a pleasure having you. We really appreciate that. It's interesting. Uh, just before I let you go, do you touch on things like mindfulness um, at all, like... Um, I don't know, I guess uh, you you talk about it being your first book and I'm thinking, well, if people are really, really scared, there's a book that's just come out here called, it's a kid's book called Outsmarting Worry. So should they start with that first so that they can, you know, work out a way to deal with that, turning that anxiety into excitement before they get to your book or is it an easy read?
13: Oh, it's very easy read. There's lots of pictures, but I, you know, I think that having a good headspace about it and really trying not to work out, work it up into a major drama, doesn't. It's not the end of the world. You just, like, what's the worst that can happen?
2: Mm. Mm. <laughs> Especially if they've got you in there because you're the expert in your field.
13: Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. So take advantage of that. People want to hear from you and get that message out there. That those little things are what will change the world. So. Get out there and just do it. It's the only
2: way you get better. Thank you, Emma. We really appreciate you joining us on 3CR. And, um, yeah, good luck with um, getting out there and teaching the world how to uh, public uh, uh, present, I guess.
13: Thank you. Uh, It's it's a big job.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much.
13: Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks. Bye.
2: And that was Emma Bannister, the CEO of the Presentation Studio. I think it's... um, I didn't touch on that, but I think I was saying to you, you know, the world that we live in now, which is so focused on technology, sometimes you drive past the school uh, at the end of school and you'll see the a group of four kids walking together, but they're on their phone, they're walking to the station together. Whereas when we were going to school, you just talked all the way home. You know, So the art of public speaking, then it might lead to teaching people about the art of just communicating with people and listening more so than being able to present because you could just hold your phone up there and have a pre-record of yourself that you did the night before in front of your dog. That's your public speaking. <laughs>
14: This year, thousands of people seeking asylum will spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prison camps and Australian detention centres. Men, women and children are separated from their families, living in horrendous conditions and have no certainty of their future. Join the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to let them know that they are not alone and we hear their plea for safety. Sign the open letter to deliver a message of hope to people seeking asylum and refugees by Christmas. Visit addmyvoice.org.au A 3CR supporter.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingAdela at G.
0: Chronically
14: Chilled, a program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives.
0: Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm
12: starting December 6th.
1: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defence fund that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot forward slash solidarity defence fund a 3cr supporter
12: are you aged over 65 the university of melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a 25 dollars gift card for more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A three C R supporter.
4: You're listening to Three C R Community Breakfast. Um, up now we're talked uh, we're joined by Christine Bigby, who's the Director of Living with a Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University. Good morning, Chris. Hi, good morning. Um, can you well. start? by telling us a little bit about the work that you do at the Living with Disability Centre. So
15: the Living with Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University aims to build an evidence base to inform how we can better achieve the social participation and inclusion and realise the rights of people primarily with uh, cognitive disabilities. Cool. So uh, we do a lot of work and it's it's very applied type of research so what does it mean for practice?
4: Yeah. Um, So I'm really interested in talking about the NDIS and kind of how that came about. Can you give us like a brief kind of outline of disability policy before the NDIS and how the NDIS was kind of chosen and then run with by government? That's an enormous question.
2: A bit like that, (laughs) isn't it? Just (laughs) just, just summarise it in 30 seconds.
4: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. yeah, take that and answer it how you will. <laughs> really,
15: the NDIS is is a is a major policy reform, and I think the reason why it got so much traction and happened so quickly was that it had bipartisan support from you know both parties and a coalition of of all the advocacy groups in the sector. So it was a, a consensus that there was something very wrong with the way in which we'd done disability policy up till then on the books we had you know quite good policy quite forward thinking policy um, that talked about rights and participation but there'd been this big implementation gap so there was no money actually that went with that policy and there were long waiting lists um, people didn't have a right to a service even though they might be seen to be eligible and so the whole system ran on this sort of crisis approach that you couldn't get a service until you were actually you know in, in crisis till you were homeless till your parents if you were a child with a disability till your parents couldn't cope anymore and and actually maybe sometimes placed you in care because that was the only alternative and many people lived at home uh, well into middle age with their elderly parents because there were no other housing and accommodation options for people so there was you know there was a, there was a need for reform and uh, there was a lot of advocacy that led up to the Productivity Commission report doing a big inquiry into the disability system. And they, they uh, concluded that we needed to double the amount of expenditure in, in the system and that it was basically underfunded and unfair and fragmented. And we're also, I mean, Australia is a signature to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities and we weren't really meeting um, the, the parameters of that convention. So there were lots of lots of problems with that policy. Um, but I think fundamentally because people didn't have a right to a service that could be enforced.
4: So what does that look like in practice that they don't have a right to a service? Like how was the decision of who got services made
15: so it was based on it was was based on two things really on the amount of uh, advocacy that you could muster Mm -hmm. um whether you had strong advocates who could jump up and down sufficiently so you could jump the queue to get a service or um, whether you were as i said before you know in 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 a real crisis situation So there was very little sort of early intervention and and preventative type support that happened to people. People's needs just escalated Um, and that really was very traumatic for a lot of people who really had to leave home in very dreadful circumstances.
4: So with the NDIS, can you just touch a little bit on the theoretical underpinnings of why they chose an insurance scheme and what that kind of means?
15: Well, the NDIS, um, it's like it's got two faces. So on, the, on one face of it, it's going to double funding to disability support and it will give um, about 460,000 people who are eligible participants an enforceable right to a service.
5: Mm-hmm.
15: Um, and if they don't uh, like the plan or the funding that they're allocated, they have the right to appeal that. To the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and to the Federal Court, so that really gives people a sort of um, a, a, an enforceable right to something, to support, to enable them to participate in society. But on the other hand, it's really it's the progression of of the neoliberal reforms in the welfare state that we've seen happening over the last sort of twenty, twenty, twenty-five years, which is about bringing individualism to the fore uh, rather than collective provision so individuals taking more responsibility um, because they'll be allocated they'll become consumers so they'll be allocated an individualized package of, of money that they have to spend on particular things and then they'll be able to exercise choice and control but they'll have to organize finding those services um, and as consumers they'll have to exercise that sort of judgment and the other side of it is that it's also about marketization so that the biggest reform for the disability service system and for services is that they won't have a block funding anymore they'll be reliant on every single customer coming through the door with their bundle of money which will be a very uncertain future for some of those organizations Um, and it also assumes that people can be really good consumers and can judge quality and know exactly what they want and that there's lots of services out there to choose from and actually that's not the case um, certainly not at the moment mm.
2: and chris you're speaking to dean here we're speaking to um uh, chris uh, bigby the director of living with a disability research center at La Trobe uni and more recently, there's, the, there's been the horrifying news of a 63-year-old woman who had planned a mercy-killing murder-suicide after, you know, 33 years of caring for caring for her autistic son. And she sort of mentioned that she'd called the NDIS a few times but never got back. Do, are you finding that that consumerism approach is leading to some people who are not really, um, I guess, you know, aware of where to go being left behind?
15: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's been a number of of dreadful instances, that that, that woman. There was a young man uh, that was reported in Melbourne, actually, a a few weeks ago, who actually had a package of $1.5 million, but ended up on remand in the remand centre. This is a young man with intellectual disability Mm. and autism. Because the government uh, has removed itself from the delivery of services, and from that negotiation and transaction work, which we call you know, in our field case management or uh, case coordination. So it means that the government is just a funder and doesn't bear responsibility for actually helping people find and, and sort out the services that they need. And the problem with that is if you leave it to then to the market, the market may say, well, some people actually are too difficult or too yeah. risky uh, to provide services for. And so who provides them, who provides for people in that sort of last resort, provider of last resort? And at the moment, that's really still very, very unclear. And we know really from the research from the UK and in other welfare states that it's the people without strong advocates, without strong family networks who have cognitive disabilities, who find it incredibly difficult to articulate their own needs in a way that can be understood by, you know, a planner with very little experience of disability. Mm. Um, There's nobody at the moment whose role is to sort of really provide a thorough assessment and planning support for people who find it difficult to do that for themselves. And it's those people that are going to be really most disadvantaged and the evidence shows that those people have been most disadvantaged already in these individualized funding systems. So there's lots of, there's, there's pluses and minuses, but we know that you need a layer of really good advocacy support and really good professional support to enable people to really articulate what their needs are and then to find and, de- and develop the right type of support for them.
4: Yeah, um, I know you've touched on uh, the problems but, like, how widespread is that? You know, is like, is there just a couple of people that are having problems with getting packages and getting the support, or is that actually, like, across the board, there's lots of problems with the rollout of the NDIS?
15: I think that's, very, that's incredibly hard to say because, you know, the, the rollout is happening. It's still not fully rolled out. It's not going to be fully rolled out until 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's learning as it goes. And Mm. that's a major plus. But there's just been a a second report from the Productivity Commission about the cost of the NDIS and about some of the issues. And they took public submissions and they did some of their own investigations. And, you know, if you read that report, there's a suggestion that there are some widespread issues, particularly for people with complex needs. Um, And And,
2: and in different sectors too, Chris. I'm, I'm imagining like in children's and then adults and then aged care as well.
15: Uh, the NDIS doesn't 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 include aged care, but the same idea about individualised funding and mm. self-directed funding is being rolled out there. So I think it's fair to say that it is fairly widespread, but the implement the people that are implementing the system are are changing as they go along. So they've just, for example, said we're not going to do phone planning, um, which was one of the major criticisms, with people who have uh, cognitive disabilities anymore. Mm. And we're going to make sure that people have much better face-to-face planning and we're going to have some specialist planners who have better understanding of disability.
2: Uh, sorry just to to go back to what you just said and this is where it's a bit confusing I think I mentioned to the guys that there's so much information we can't break it down you just said to me the NDIS does not include aged care obviously they're different but if you're in your 80s and you've got a disability where do you sit
15: oh well we have two systems we have the disability system and we have the aged care system so if you have a disability before the age of 65 Or if you're already in the system and you're ageing, then you can stay in the disability system. But if you're a person without a disability and you're just ageing and you happen to acquire a disability, as most people do as they get older. We're all
2: getting there. That's
15: right. Then you And the biggest number of people with disabilities are older people. Okay. Then you're in the aged care system. And the difference is that... And it comes back to the insurance issue that older people have had very, most people have had productive lives, they've had, they've worked, they've got much more wealth than other people in the community, they've got superannuation, and the aged care system is very much a self-funded system, whereas the disability system is now an insurance system that says, well, you can't can't help it if you get a disability when you're an adult or when you're a child, that's a chance that happens. It happens to everybody, and so the insurance system will will pay if that happens to you.
2: And and, so it's not and,
15: a user pays system in the same way that the aged care system is.
2: And going back to what you just said earlier too, having the experts who know exactly what they're talking about, makes a world of difference because you're the first person, and I've read a lot, that's explained to me the difference between how those services work hand in hand, the NDIS and the aged care, and what constitutes which package you get and where you fall. So thank you for that.
15: Yes. But, you know, you think about older people too. The idea of many of those older people really don't want to manage their own packages. Um, They just want help to articulate what they need and then they want somebody to deliver it um, that suits in a way that suits them but they don't want to manage it themselves because mm. they've got other things to worry about.
4: Um, just briefly, I think you're starting to touch on it but also, like, who are the people that are working as support people in disability and if the NDIS is going to increase the level of people getting support, where are they getting people that are going to work as support workers in that and are there problems in that? At the moment
15: (laughs) yes I mean if we're doubling the amount of money that's going into disability then we're obviously increasing the workforce enormously Mm. and um, there's been a lot of attention to well where are we going to find the increased number of support workers but also where are we going to find the increased number of practice leaders um, and managers and coordinators that have good knowledge about practice and really, at the moment, that's a sort of big unknown question. Um, many uh, smaller organisations, particularly in rural areas, um, I'm on the board of an organisation in Bendigo, and, and they've said, well, we can't, we can't expand anymore because we won't be able to get skilled workers. Mm. So there's a danger that the sort of reforms will stall because they can't get good workers or that the quality will go down. Um, and there's also been concern about the pricing. So it's not really a market because the price is fixed by the NDIS. And if you don't have good training built, training funding built into that and good supervision and practice leadership, then again the quality will go down. So the whole workforce issue is an enormous sort of question that's getting a lot of attention, but it's not clear how that's
4: panning out at the moment. Mm. I also see lots of disability support um, jobs advertised but the pay rates are also quite low as well. Do you think that's a problem with the system and how that affects the people that are working in that environment? Yeah,
15: well I think it's, it's, a, it's a sort of vicious circle unless we increase, the pay, if we increase the pay rates then the cost of the whole system increases um, but if we increase the pay rates then we can require higher levels of training and qualifications. Mm. So, for example, in in the Norwegian system, everybody who is a disability support worker who works in supported accommodation and supporting people to be included in the community has done a three-year degree in social pedagogy, which is about supporting people with disabilities. Um, In our system, we're lucky if they've done a Cert 3 or Cert 4 at the TAFE level.
4: Mm. Or if they've had any training at all.
15: Yeah, so it goes back to the really the value that as a society we place on people who are providing that sort of direct support. And I would argue that's an incredibly skilled task. You're not just a personal assistant. You're not just an attendant carer, particularly when you're working with people with intellectual disabilities. You're, you're an enabler of, of people being able to participate in their own lives and in the community. And that's a very skilled
4: that set of tasks that people do. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. It was really great talking to you. Thank,
2: Thank you, Chris.
15: Chris. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: And that was um, the Director of Living with a Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University, Chris Bigby. I nearly just said Dr. Chris Bigby then. It nearly just, it just She's said, a doctor.
5: It's yeah. right. Well, now you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, so just, actually. Yeah,
2: it just sounds so cool. Um, but, yeah, it was... It's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. we, we spoke to Sophia before. It, it's just one of those things that I think I take for granted because I'm in the state that I'm in in terms of my mm-hmm. health, you know, yeah. I'm not dealing with and I don't have any sick kids, and it's just such a minefield that people have to jump through these hoops all and the time. And it's
4: so complicated. It's, like, so necessarily complicated, all the different things, and... Um, like Chris was saying, like having to advocate and it's like the people that don't have advocates are generally people from lower socioeconomic mm. backgrounds or don't mm. have parents anymore or maybe don't have parents that know how to say like, you know, um service community language for yeah. want of a better mm. phrase, you know. And yeah. so it's, yeah, it's just seeing, you know, a community that's already really stigmatized and then mm. also have the same, you know, levels of stigma of discrimination within that community that we have in our own community as well as well (sighs)
2: um we might uh maybe go to a quick track before Mm -hmm. our next guest i might just say i forgot yesterday was edie's birthday hopefully you're listening edie and happy fourth birthday and this is a track (laughs) dedicated to you um, i know you're not named after her but this is for you
8: Was at a dance when it caught my eye standing all alone, looking sad and shy, we began to dance swaying to.
2: Ah, the wonderful Edie Gourmet, dedicated to the little Edie out there in uh, Brunswick. It's um, been a bit of a hectic show. We're about to get our next guest in, but I'll go to a few community announcements
9: before we do that.
8: In 2016, 3CR
4: published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday.
9: Years in the Making, Radical Radio Celebrating 40 Years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
8: At 300 pages, the
6: book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy
9: or online at 3cr.org forward slash shop.
8: Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
6: You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari. Brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
2: We're ready. We're on 3CR. It's 8.55am. And it's time (laughs) to... Introduce our next guest. The things that happen, we should have the. the is it, What's the camera? Podcast? No. What? A live sh- <laughs> stream. Yeah, for sure. People would be I amazed. Feel like people
4: would be so bored. Oh, no.
2: I mean, people wear pajamas in here. Look at that. <laughs> it's fantastic.
3: You're not supposed to do right <laughs> that. Like, don't say
4: that. <laughs> um, I am wearing my pajamas, actually. So like, <laughs> going against all the secrecies.
3: Okay, so um, let's let them in. <laughs> so we have Keenan Muir um, from the Courier Youth Council um, in uh, the studio. Good morning, Keenan. Good morning. Um, so, uh, Keenan, you were involved with an exhibition at the Melbourne Museum. So, tell mm. us a bit about that.
16: Yeah. So, um, it's called Marambeek, It's Woywarrong for I am. So, the exhibition looks at storytelling in our culture. And it uses uh, comic books and superheroes as um, just a new medium of storytelling for our
2: community. I don't want to interrupt, but you said Waiwurrung. But you just did. Yes. Um, what's the difference between where you are and where, I guess, where we are? Because I think Waiwurrung is t- towards Geelong. Yes. Yeah, the community, the people are sort of based in Geelong.
16: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's the language group. Yep. um, Of the area. Of the area.
3: Yeah. So, like like you said, it showcases a sort of Aboriginal identity in in the modern world. Um, uh, Could you uh, tell us a bit about how important that is?
16: Yeah. Um, So I think this is a fairly new uh, type of exhibition our culture um it's mostly been around um how we've told our stories in a traditional sense um mostly in paintings whereas this is more focusing on comic comic books and um cosplay like myself um so cosplay is a cross between uh, costume and uh, play, basically, um, originated in Japan in 1989. Um, yeah, but it's it's basically a way of me expressing my story, my journey um, as an Indigenous man.
3: Mm. Um, and so, I, I suppose, um, could you could you actually just talk us through some of the, the work that's um, on exhibition yeah. um, and and its significance, all the stories behind it.
16: Yeah. yeah, so the exhibition starts off with um, some amazing pieces of work from Uncle Lin Onus. Um, for anyone who's seen his stuff, it's amazing. Um, so he sort of started it with uh, telling... A story through a few paintings um, he then created the character Captain Kuri. Um so from there it goes to uh, Jade Kennedy who's been uh, drawing some superheroes and stories much like Uncle Lin um, and then yeah it finishes with uh, our cosplay stuff. So me and my partner, we cosplay um, together around international conventions. Um, so that's pretty cool for the community. And we're probably two of three Indigenous cosplayers in mm. Australia. Yeah. Oh,
3: so wow, only three yes. Indigenous cosplayers. Okay. Well,
16: active cosplayers. Yeah. So we um, compete. In competitions and um, yeah we document how we create our pieces of work and stories behind it and yeah
2: and and I think more recently the main focus has been the role of just the languages side and obviously keeping them alive and making sure that kids can learn it within their communities for you it seems like the movement is all about adopting modern culture and making sure that you reach a, a broader audience, not necessarily just the Indigenous audience, through exactly. this medium.
16: Exactly. So at the moment I'm focusing on uh, uh, researching Indigenous superheroes yep. in mainstream comic books such as Marvel and DC. Okay. So yep. I found about 30 so far. I'm still researching. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, it's my mission to cosplay all of them. Um, just to short, sort of show that, you know, Indigenous uh, identity does exist in this form of medium. And,
2: mm-hmm. and by Indigenous, you're not only talking about the Indigenous people of Australia, but obviously other exactly. cultures as well, whether it's Canada, Africa and role. Yes, yeah.
16: exactly.
4: Um, I don't know if it's just that I've been unaware about things like Cleverman and also a book called Terranalius by Claire... Someone, I'm really sorry, I can't remember her last name, um, that are both really kind of sci fi esque and, you know, like Clever Man has superheroes and stuff in it. Yeah. Is this like something that's been happening for a really long time or is it just like a new way of
16: telling stories? Um, well, it's, yeah, it's been happening for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Ryan Griffin. Uh, created Clever Man for his son Mm. much like Lynn Onus created Captain Corey for his son Um, so I guess uh, them as father figures saw that they needed to connect with their future generation somehow so uh, for them it was through comic books and superheroes Mm. and I think Yeah, that's awesome.
4: Yeah, I think it's really great and exciting as well.
2: And Indigenous storytelling, funnily enough, has been visual for tens of thousands of years because even through the dance and the impersonation. Yeah, yeah. um, Whereas other cultures have all been about um, talking, telling the story through language. Yes, exactly.
16: Um, there's a saying that we are the oldest living storytellers on this earth mm. Because we're the oldest living culture on this earth mm. And I think it's um, this really shows the uh, next step Or a different perspective of how we tell our story mm.
4: um, I was wondering if you could just also, tell us a little bit about the Youth Koori uh, Council as well and like what you do other than this exhibition.
16: Yeah. So, outside of this, um, I work at the Koori Youth Council as a senior project officer. We're an advocacy body to ensure there's um, a youth voice for young Koori people uh, across government policies, community practices, um my main role is to run the Koy Youth Summit, which uh, brings together about one hundred and eighty koy young people from across mm. Victoria um, it, which can be a handful mm-hmm. sometimes, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I love it when When you see the power um, in the room and the culture and the connection it's I wouldn't change it.
2: And how long have um, you guys been uh, a a, a council I guess and how long have you been doing this type of work?
16: Yeah so actually the councils um, will be in its fifth year next year Um, so I guess it's a celebration year for us so the summit's going to be looking at celebrating the achievements of young people Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. instead of the Hard stuff yeah. We usually talk about
2: mm, I was going to actually touch on that Because it's, I guess it's a bit different being in Victoria Compared to I think maybe two months ago We were speaking to some of the elders um, Who wanted to bring the their youngsters back to country Instead of having them in prison Do so you find that being in Victoria It's a little bit different Or do, do these kids still experience The same sorts of hardships That they might be experiencing Up in the Northern Territory Question without notice. Yeah,
5: (laughs) no,
16: that's fine. Um, We're doing a lot of work in the youth justice area at the moment, Um, so it's probably not to such an extreme degree, Mm. this NT, but, um, I mean, there's certainly uh, portions of the system that need to change, um, and we make sure that government uh, actually... Interact with young people when they're making these changes instead of for young people. Mm. You know, ask them what they want to see.
4: Sounds like give, some really great work. Give them some agency in the
16: in exactly. actual voice.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to um, jump back a sec. Go ahead. Oh, I just, how do we find, like, Captain Curry? I just, like, really want to start reading.
16: Yeah, so um it was it's just a painting okay. that he created. So cool. um yeah, I'm actually waiting for a comic book myself and that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, the original painting is at the at the museum. exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: so it's so great painting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we're just looking
5: at it in the studio now. Um,
3: so okay, cool. Keelan, could you uh, tell um, so, some of the listeners uh, how to, uh, how long's the exhibition going on for, and um, how, yeah, where it is, and etc. Can they buy
2: some of those paintings? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well,
16: um, so it's at Melbourne Museum, Pundulaka. Um It's running until about mid-February, and Jade Kennedy does have his paintings up for sale, so I encourage everyone to go down and have a look at his deadly works.
2: Isn't that just such a first-world problem of just going, oh, and can we buy it? (laughs) Yeah, that's a bit strange, because you're doing such a wonderful thing, and all we're thinking about is, oh, can we own it, Um, which is a bit... Weird for what you're you're doing.
16: I mean, but he's starting off in this industry. Yeah, he's fairly new to the scene, um, and I think it's more the story behind his creation. Yeah, Mm. yeah, that really gets me. And um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome.
3: Great. Thank you so much for coming in, Keenan. No worries. Uh, so we were just speaking with Keenan Muir from the Kuri Youth Council about an uh, exhibition at the Melbourne Museum called Marambik, uh which means I am in Kulin Nation language. Yes.
2: Thank you very much, Keenan. Thank you. Thank you.
14: This year, thousands of people seeking asylum will spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prison camps and Australian detention centres. Men, women and children are separated from their families, living in horrendous conditions and have no certainty of their future. Join the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to let them know that they are not alone and we hear their plea for safety. Sign the open letter to deliver a message of hope to people seeking asylum and refugees by Christmas. Visit addmyvoice.org.au. 3CR supporter.
8: 500 men sacked for refusing
7: to ever Union Busters are back on the docks, this time a company called ICTSI. A worker has been sacked for standing up to the bosses against bullying and harassment. A community assembly has come together to support the dock workers and have started a 24-hour protest. We are holding the line, but we need your help. Get down to 78 Web Dr, Drive, Port Melbourne, and join the community assembly at any time of the day or night. For more information and details, call Workers Solidarity on 0401
8: 516 967. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm
0: Mario. And where?
14: Chronically Chilled. Chilled A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives
0: Listen to Chronically Chilled the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm starting
6: December 6th You are invited to Sampari Exhibition celebrating West Papuan culture Sampari a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT. West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
10: Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeyed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday, the 7th of January, or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadella at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter.
2: That was fantastic. We're back on 8.55am 3CR. I, um, I mentioned that um, the 16 days of victimism are still happening and um, hashtag #shemakesachange will take place on December 9, which is this Saturday, during Victoria Against Violence. Um, so it's obviously the campaign that commenced an international day ...for the Elimination of Violence Against Women... ...on the 25th of November... ...and it concludes on International Human Rights Day... ...which is Sunday the 10th of December... Um, the she Hashtag She Makes a Change is a one-day power session of great minds tackling a big problem in the world. They're partnering with government agencies, not-for-profits and those who wish to solve social problems that impact women and there's going to be a, a diverse range of people from developers to UX designers to artists, marketers and, and subject matter experts. Um, participants are given the valuable experience of networking and problem-solving with a diverse group and leave knowing that they have directly contributed to positive outcomes for women. Um, the group who's organised this um, is called Geek Girl Academy, which is a global movement to help women build apps and create startups. The reason I thought that this was quite exciting, obviously their mission is to increase the number of women with technology skills. We had had a guest three months ago who was talking about the, the discrimination in the IT industry against women. Um, I forgot her name, but she was a... Bing. Bing, that's right, was having a chat to us. So it's great to see that an organisation such as Geek Geek Girl Academy is out there, who's who, you know, talk about the in, the current primary um, work people in the industry being men, and you know, women are the ones who are really building on it. Uh, only 12% of engineers are women, and they believe that they can change that ratio. So they create educational experiences that bring female hackers, hustlers, hipsters, and startup enthusiasts together to learn, teach, share, and form teams and ultimately build the internet so yeah it's on this sunday uh sorry saturday and it's on at the general assembly william street in melbourne Mm. starting at nine
4: sounds good also um on saturday there's a program called common ground which is run by the multicultural arts victoria in conjunction with um a couple of other community service organizations around and they did a spoken word poetry workshop um, with multicultural communities, young people um, throughout this year, and they're having their showcase um, at the Malthouse Theatre from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock this Saturday. So there'll be some music and some performance, but then also some young people that were part of the program are going to perform their poems, and it sounds like it's going to be a really nice and wholesome happy event so if you are free and you want to go to that it's from two to five at the mold house theater and if you search for common ground showcase you'll find information on facebook about it
2: and you're listening to the award-winning thursday breakfast team we've got <laughs> our know. award presentation know. tomorrow night <laughs> at here at 3cr and i'm pretty sure <laughs> we'll come back and come home with the prize
5: <laughs> um, so, Grace, Grace, sorry, Grace I is stunned sort of, she's yeah. speechless you're like
2: one of those people that just didn't expect to win an Oscar gets to the stage and panics no so I
4: just didn't know if I was if, like, if I should be like by the way we're not actually going to win awards like, we're pretty good but like I
8: don't
2: know well, you, if, if you don't blow your own horn who is
3: um, also, um, just, just before uh, we wrap up, um, on Saturday uh, there's the Koorie Art Show um, on. It's in its fifth year. Uh, the Koorie Heritage Trust annual uh, Koorie Art Show showcases the diverse talent of Victoria's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists in one inclusive space. So uh, that's on at the Koorie Heritage Trust, uh, which is the Yarra Building and Federation Square. Um, and that's on from 2 till...
2: Thank you, Sophie Tipping, Research Associate at La Trobe Uni, for talking to us about intellectual disabilities and the problems with voting and political systems. That was at 7.10. At 7.30 we had Emma Bannister talking to us uh, about, you know, overcoming your fear of public speaking at 7.45.
4: We had Professor Christine Bigby, who's the Director of Living with a Disability Research Centre at La Trobe University. Um, We had a chat about how the NDIS came to be, and the kind of problems in theoretical things underpinning it.
2: And Keenan.
3: Um, at 810, um, who's a senior uh, project officer at the Currie Youth Centre, but he's also an artist and he was involved, and is, is involved, <laughs> in the Murambik, uh <laughs> exhibition at the Melbourne Museum Which looking at uh, Aboriginal identity in the modern world. I'm really excited about
5: seeing
4: that. Yeah, to me too. It's going to be good. Um, Up next is Lost in Science. We'll be back next week and uh, 3CR Breakfast will be back on tomorrow. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.